the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. My name is Heather Morse and I started doing outreach with a group called Rose of Sharon and we would go to the streets of Chicago and just invite women to live in a women's shelter. And um, as I was doing that, I was also simultaneously getting trained from different organizations about what human trafficking was. From there, I found that we were already dealing with women who were trafficked on the street and as I learned, we came to understand that the women who we were already reaching out to uh, were in forced prostitution, but because we didn't understand the dynamics of the trafficking, we we weren't treating it that way. We were treating them just as if they were women who were dealing with addiction or homelessness. And uh, so learning the signs of trafficking actually helped us to expand what we were doing. And uh, from there, I got hired at a program at the same shelter that I was volunteering for and uh, worked with the women and learned more from them about what trafficking actually looks like on the street. And then I started doing uh, street out or I expanded the outreach to go into bars and massage parlors, anywhere where the sex industry was happening. And so that's a little bit about my background and how I got started. I started just as a simple volunteer and it kind of opened the doors for me to, to do more. So that's that's who I am. So how many years have you been in, in working with this ministry? Uh, I started in 2008. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 2008, I've had the chance to go to India twice and um, Nepal. I've been able to go into the red light districts in Calcutta and Mumbai. I also went to Bulgaria and uh, just networked with some trafficking organizations there that were trying to get off the ground. And um, and here I've been focusing mostly on massage parlors and strip clubs for the past six years. So, so what is our role as, uh, as Christians when it comes to this issue in society? Because it doesn't matter whether you're in the East or you're in the West or you're in the North or the South, you have the same problems everywhere. And uh, not mm. a lot of people talk about this as if, that abuse and trafficking is happening in our community. So what is our role as as Christians to reach out to these? I think that we have a great opportunity to fill the gap. A lot of what I heard as I was learning myself and as other people were coming to, to get trained is I came to understand that the police are people's first defense and or their first their first hope that that will be solved. And the police actually have a limited opportunity to minister to the people. And one of the, one of the reasons, one example that I can give is that um, I was doing outreach to massage parlors. I uh, networked with a, a detective who was retired, but he had, he was focusing on human trafficking. So he's helping train the community. And, and I would go to him with questions and say, you know, I have this uh, situation and you know, how should I deal with this? What, what's next? And his response was, well, we can't go into those massage parlors without cause. We're a response team. And so we're not allowed to just walk into a massage parlor and start investigating. That's against our um, legal uh, parameters. So what I see there is a great opportunity for the church to build bridges between the, the law enforcement and uh, the women, because the women are not not going to throw their hands up and say, I need help unless they're in the most extremist situation. And so 
it's a great opportunity for the church to be a to be a bridge between the people who are hurting and the law enforcement community. For us to assume that the law enforcement would take the first step is um, we're, we're missing a lot of opportunities. So that would be one uh, one way that I say the church can be involved is to get educated about what trafficking is. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But I would say to, to get educated about what it is, to get educated about the cross sections of who's being affected. So in our case, because we were reaching out to women who are homeless and addicted, we found a lot of women who were being trafficked. But had we not been reaching out, we wouldn't know that. So any kind of relationship that you're building with people who are hurting is a great opportunity to use that education to see if you can build more bridges for women. And, you know, as Christians, our role should be to live out the gospel and to reach across and to be a bridge from from people who are hurting to to health. And so I see that, you know, we see that played out in John 4, where Jesus touches the, the Samaritan woman. He engages her and he's accepting and he is offering her hope. And so I think that is the beginning step for us as Christians to walk into people's lives and to offer hope and to engage and to be accepting. When normally it might be our human nature to tuck our purse and run the other way, but I would just, you know, really really walk through the scriptures and see how does Jesus engage with those who are hurting and how can we be that kind of person, even in situations that seem, you know, shocking or difficult for us to deal with. It's definitely, I I would say from my years of outreach, it's definitely possible to make those bridges if that's, if that's something that you're willing to do and that God's put in your heart. What are the signs or how do you identify mm. this from happening? Because this happens every single day. And I remember reading an article where a flight attendant said, you know, I saw this uh, child that was uh, in the middle of winter wearing a very light sweater, torn shoes, and she alerted the police. But that's because she's mm. watching out for the signs. So what are the, how do you identify that this is happening? I mean, this is happening in front of our eyes. How do we identify? Yeah. So that situation might be different from someone who is, you know, involved in prostitution on the corner, involved in prostitution in the massage parlor. So I think that getting educated um, is a key. And what that would look like would be to start with what's going on in your local community. So, for example, in Chicago, you know, because I've gotten educated by other people, we know that massage parlors and strip clubs and uh, brothels in people's homes and street prostitution are beginning, those are, there's where the sex industry is happening. So knowing that helps because then you can keep your eyes open for the other signs. The fact that she was on the plane and recognized that, that was probably mother's intuition, you know, to know that, that uh, something's not right. And, um, and we all have that. And so I would say stay alert for those things, but the signs are not going to be as cut and dry in, in every situation. But I would say to identify someone, shame is probably one of the first things you're going to notice is someone who's not able to um, make eye contact, someone who is afraid of the person they're with, someone who, uh, so for example, if you're at an airport and, and you try to chit chat with someone who looks maybe um, disengaged or she's not uh, she or he is not, just, just looks kind of out of place and uh, despondent. And someone else steps in and starts speaking for them. That's definitely a red flag. Another sign that I noticed one time, just sitting at a coffee shop, is the the 
there was two women and one man and the two women were about 17 or 18 years old. And the red flag for me was that they weren't talking to each other. They weren't on their phones. They were just sitting silently. So little things like that are, um, they're not sure fire signs, but it's little just deviations from culture. And in Chicago, someone sitting at a bus stop when the bus isn't running, that's a sign. But those are all kind of local. And so it really does require us stepping up and saying, like, can somebody kind of let me know what's going on in my community? Because it's going to look different. Those signs may not be as a, you know, may not be applicable in another culture. You know, in Bulgaria, it was where the women stood. We learned that the women who were standing on the country roadsides, they were actually prostituting and I wouldn't have known that had I not talked to someone in my in my local community who was aware of what trafficking looked like. The, the first thing that people can do is get educated and become aware of what's happening in their community. But what else yes. apart from this can Christians do to prevent this from happening? I mean, not just identify it as a problem, but prevent it altogether. Well, I think um, prevention would start with educating men. Men need to know that purchasing sex, if you're talking about sex, trafficking it specifically that purchasing sex is detrimental and that people are being affected negatively this kind of culture of um you know this is just a bachelorette party and it's fun and uh doesn't look deep enough to know that that person may be very well be trafficked that you're inviting to your party so i think in general having a an understanding that prostitution in and of itself is wrong is is something that we can do to prevent the women from being from being vo- oppressed and and being vulnerable so obviously obviously removing demand and removing the the opportunity for to function huge and that's a huge culture shift i know the other things that we can do is uh, as i said to become educated and to become involved if i didn't want to be a person who did outreach but i wanted to make a difference what i might do is in my community is is look for those massage parlors that are not above board and report them to the police and say okay i i know that i can go into my community and if a massage parlor is dark and it has a lock on the outside door and it's got cameras Um, that that's a red flag that that's probably a place that's operating with this that's operating through the sex industry as well and so I I have just gone and googled and said okay what's going on here and I see ads for prostitution there so I just report those to uh, Polaris Project would be one of the places in in the U.S. that I can report them to. So I just report them and and allow that to go through the system. That's that's something that you can do in your in your community. But again, that takes you kind of getting connected with someone who knows what trafficking looks like and just learning a few things so that you're doing that in an educated way. You don't uh, you're not going to know unless you're unless you're partnered up with someone who understands the dynamics of your community. The other thing that I would say is if you are involved in any helping ministries that involved homelessness or addiction or domestic violence or even labor labor issues, you know, someone who's dealing with working with with not being paid at their job, if you're dealing with anything anything in those areas, hospitals are a great place to uh, become aware to educate those people in those neighborhoods, in those industries to be a bridge to someone who is working with the homeless because someone who's trafficked the pimps and the and the trafficked women may be walking right by collecting food 
and you don't know their story, so you don't know if they're working in prostitution as well. So that's very, that's a, it's a great way for someone to get involved without, you know, it starting an entire agency. Um, but I would definitely say to become a bridge to people who are involved with any of those cross sections. The definition of trafficking is forced fraud and coercion. So um, anytime someone is forced to, to go into prostitution, that's one uh, element that needs to be looked at. Fraud is when you offer someone a job, for example, and tell them, okay, no, you're not going to get paid unless you offer more services. And coercion is, is also where, let's, an example would be a, a youth that ran away and you, some, a pimp might take her in and she might take her in for the, to say like, oh, I want to help you. And then, and then later say, well, you're going to have to pay rent by prostituting. Um, so those are the three elements that, that are trafficked, that define trafficking. So it's force, fraud, and coercion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, often it'll happen that someone will offer someone, a, so for example, a job as a domestic, um, a domestic help in another country. Uh, that's very common. And then when they get there, they say, nope, there's no job for you. And then someone else will come along- alongside and say, hey, I'll... Um, I'll give you a job, and then it turns out to be prostitution or forced servitude, or it could be a nanny position. There's many different ways, but fraud is one of the main indicators that one of the definitions of trafficking. So, and so I'd say as Christians, part of the the way that we can be a bridge is really to get to know people's stories. One of the things that happened to me when I was working with the women in the shelter is. We had a lot, lot of time. I would sit at the uh, hospital with them. So while we were sitting at the hospital, I started asking questions. And so my questions uh, would never have come. They never would have. The answers to their to these questions never would have come out had I not spent time with the women. And so one of the women I um, knew that she had been trafficked because the police brought her to us, and her her story was well publicized. That it was called in the newspaper. It was called a house of horrors. And they had listed all the things that were happening. The women were being beat with um, electrical cords, offered drugs on a tray. So I knew coming in that she had been trafficked. But when I talked to her, um, she said, no, I chose I chose that. And so I said, well, how did you choose it? So, so her story, even though she was very clear to me that she chose that life, her story was that she was 18. She'd been clean off of drugs for about six months and she got a craving for drugs. So she went outside and was looking for drugs. And one of the, uh, this pimp came and he told her like, I'll give you drugs. So he gave her drugs for free for two or three days straight. So he got her completely high, which she did choose. And then, then he put her to work and she was there 13 years later. So my question to her was not, did you choose prostitution, my question was, if you had the opportunity to choose prostitution on your own, would you have? And she said, no, absolutely not. And so um, so you can see the elements of coercion are there. Um, you can see the elements of force are there from the abuse. So but she didn't she didn't self-identify the entire time she was there, even though she came there through the through the police. Well, then later I asked her, we were working on her credit and she said, you know, my um um, all my credit cards are in my his name. It was her pimp. So she said, all my credit cards are in his name, or he has access to all my credit cards. And so I called the credit card company. I said, okay, what's the next steps for us to get her, to get her credit cards taken care of well? And they said, well, you need to go and just file a police report. So I took her to, to go file a police report, and she wouldn't because she said, well, he knows where my family lives. 
So right there, we understand that she was under force and she never would have admitted that on her own. So I really believe that that walking in relationship with people is important part of this um, journey of helping people who've been trafficked because um, their stories are not typically going to come out. And the ones that we see in the news are typically the most sensational. And uh, the women on the other side of them may not, they may not have the same story. Their story may not reflect the sensational story that you hear. And so walking with someone through their life, you're going to kind of see those elements of force, fraud, and coercion and be able to serve them a little bit better. But at the end of the day, she still had all the other needs. She still was homeless. She still needed to eat. She still needed to get job training. So there's so many opportunities for us to walk alongside someone that are much deeper and much broader than just responding to what we might see in the news. And I just really believe that relationship is where that starts, you know, being willing to walk across the aisle and to love on someone who doesn't maybe have the same background as you, the same life as you, and to partner with organizations and and really become just a, a, plant, a seed of hope, you know, and in that situation, none of us would have been able to walk into that home that had all of that negativity going on and, and be a blessing to them. But what we can do is maybe go alongside the shelter and become her friend afterwards and, and make it easy for her to feel embraced to walk into society again. Because what happens is after 13 years of living in prostitution on the streets is is you may not feel welcome into regular society. So it does take someone to be a bridge and to, to offer acceptance and hope and, and engage with someone to come back. So there's so much opportunity to walk alongside women who are hurting even after they've left the life and to really become, you know, just to become Jesus to them in the, in the middle of their healing process, I think is an amazing opportunity for people who may have no skills and no wisdom about the actual trafficking or, or the dealing with crime, but just to partner with an organization and become a friend is an amazing way to be part of the healing process. If anyone wants to actually help and be a part of this ministry or go into this outreach or start something in their community, what are the steps that they should take? Well, I would start by finding out what's going on in your community. So if I was to move to a new community, I would I would just go and Google and say, okay, I'm, I want to find out who's doing something here. And then I would meet with two or three organizations. If what you want to do is just become educated as a as a community member that may run into trafficking, then I would kind of uh, just learn from them. So go to what I did. I just started going to an awareness program and then I went to an outreach training, um, two or three of those. And I was already uh, so much better versed to deal with the women than I had been before that. So I would start there. And if you do feel passionate and like God is calling you to start something, there's going to be gaps there. So if you go into your community and you find that no one is reaching out to the women in the red light district, for example, there's space for that. So in that, then you can find people who are doing great work and that will train you and walk alongside you to to launch you into that a lot uh, a lot of people care about this issue there's a lot of christian organizations there's a lot of secular organizations that will that will lead the path for you and so it just depends on your heart and your and your desire but i think everyone it would pay well to just find out who the organizations are and to see what's going on in your community and then then after that let's see what doors are open if you can partner with somebody that's 
great, you know, doing uh, food drives for the shelter or whether you're actually going like I do and going into the clubs and just talking to the women and saying, we care about you when you're ready to leave. Let's, let's talk about your options. All of those are really hands-on ways that you can walk alongside the, the issue without putting yourself in great danger. An example of some of these organizations? Sure. Um, in in the U.S., we have a hotline. Called, it's called Polaris Project. So they have a website, and you can report anything that seems suspicious. So if I was to see a van with a bunch of girls jump out, and it looks like they're they're going to prostitute, and then I could t- call them and and report their license plate, or I could also call and report a, a suspicious um, massage parlor. So that's called Polaris Project. So that that hotline is there. And they also have a network of shelters that they can refer women to if someone calls and they need help. Internationally, International Justice Mission uh, is doing great work in several different countries. And uh, I don't know that they have a hotline, but certainly they'd be a great starting point to find out what's going on in your neighborhood. And A21 is another organization. They work in Greece and Bulgaria and uh, several other places, I believe India. And uh, they're also on the front line, and you can call them for resources. And uh, since you're in this for a while, how do you deal with the fear that comes along with Surely if you're doing this, you're in danger yourself. So how do you deal with the fear of the... Yeah. Well, you know, I would say the longer I do it, the less fear I have. In the beginning, like I said, we were naive. We were just reaching out to women and and we assumed that the guys that we were dealing with were just curious or and we didn't understand that we were literally talking to pimps. So my fear level's gone down a lot because we unknowingly would shoo the pimps away. We you know, we'd tell them this is a women's ministry. We we don't we're not allowed to talk to men. And um, they didn't give us a hard time. So my fear level is definitely lower than before I started because criminals are not trying to get in trouble for things that don't benefit them. So it doesn't benefit them to to bother a church lady on the street, you know, trying to pray for women. Um, So that's definitely one one thing that I've seen is the longer I've done it is the less fear that I have. Uh, I would say on the flip side, the other part is that hearing so many women's stories that are difficult does become emotionally heavy. So that's actually more of what I would have to process at this point than fear. And that just comes with experience. So, but, but hearing so many women that have been through um, so much trauma, that does get difficult. And that is a kind of a clarion call for other people to get involved because it would be the more, the more people that are involved, the less the weight would be to hear these, you know, to hear these stories and to walk alongside these women and to see the broad, the broad and the complex needs that they have. I think the more people that are involved, the easier the, the work would be. You know, many hands make work light. So I would say that's actually more of my issue at this point, more than fear. And I've never been threatened and I've been doing this for 10 years. So, and I go into some very dark places and some very, you know, just some very difficult places. And I've just never been, I've never been threatened or, or hurt. On the other, on the flip side, what happens is if you're sharing the gospel and you're sharing love with people who've been ignored and mistreated, uh, even the pimps sometimes respect that. Not always, but even sometimes the pimps respect that. And so there, if you can treat people with grace and with the love of God, you're neutralizing a lot of, uh, you're neutralizing a lot of emotion and a lot of anger that, that maybe someone who was walking in with the mindset of just rescuing would be dealing with. You know, I'm, I definitely have seen, even pimps will say, how can you pray for the, the women and you never pray for us? 
And so so those experiences kind of shift your attitude towards even the pimps. That's a, a sign of hope, right? That you can change uh, with prayer. You can change anything and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, at the end of the day, there's a there's a study that was done in Chicago that 89% of pimps have been prostituted first, and that includes male pimps. So, so that's a lesson for us that everyone needs to be loved. Everyone needs to know that God cares about them, that God hasn't forgotten them, that, and that we're the messengers for that. So if we can offer that message, we may have enemies and there may be pimps that, and madams that don't respond to that. And that's okay. But, but there definitely is a softening that happens and there definitely is, um, a shift that happens when you are willing to step into someone's, you know, non-comfort zone. So uh, when I was working at the shelter one time, there was a girl, a lady there, and she was pretty disrespectful with me. And, um, uh, you know, on a regular basis, she was pretty disrespectful with me. And so, you know, that's part of my job. I, I worked in a, in a women's shelter, so it's, it comes with the territory. Uh, but what happened is some of the other ladies said, you know, she goes over and, and they name the streets, they name the motel that I go to. And um, they said, you know, she goes over there at night to pray for the women. And she said she was so surprised that I did that. that I immediately she immediately shifted how she, she treated me because I gained so much respect because she said, you know, it's dangerous over there. I said, I know it's dangerous, but somebody has to go into the dark places, right? Somebody has to be the one that that brings the light into the darkness. So I have learned from those experiences and how she shifted in her attitude towards me and how others, you know, have followed the same pattern that us being willing to do what others to be a bridge, it really does create, it really just does create a bridge and it creates kind of a sense of, okay, she's this is not just something that she's doing because she has to, or, you know, as a project. So really it's been kind of a uniting point. So I do believe that sharing the gospel, it's, it's the core and the crux of, of shifting people's hearts and their minds and, and being willing to go into people's lives, right? As Jesus did, he came from heaven to earth and, and compared to heaven, earth is, is no picnic. So, you know, we're doing kind of the same thing if we're going into dark places. So, yeah. So any last words that you have or any advice that you could give? Yeah, I would say that not everybody is called to do this work, but I think it's worth it for everyone to get a, to become aware um, I would say that if you are involved in any ministry that has to do with homelessness or addiction or domestic violence, that you would, you know, make steps to get educated. And I would also say that that you have a great opportunity to shift people just through being loving. So it would be if you do have the time and the inclination to step out and do something different. It's it's a great place to start is just to find a local organization and see how you can volunteer, even if it's just teaching, you know, basic skills that, that you think everyone would know. One of the one of the things about the US and I, it may have a similar dynamic in other countries is that they say sixty to eighty percent of the women involved in prostitution are from um, foster care. So uh, that speaks to the fact that there's homeless, um, that the homelessness and the poverty and the coercion, it all stems from them not having a good community and a good family. So I think it's a beautiful thing for us to be the church to those those kids before they get involved in prostitution. And one of the statistics that I heard was from from um, 
the foster care uh, training in a foster care department was that if the children in foster care had one visitor per month, their likelihood of running away from foster care decreases by 80%. So, so us getting involved with people who are lonely and uh, disenfranchised before they get involved in prostitution is is also a great way to be a blessing. So to go love on someone in an orphanage or go become someone, to go become someone's hope and their uh, pseudo family is such a great opportunity to to prevent and to become involved in who's in people who've been trafficked lives. I think that's a great opportunity for us. And then as well, you know, I I look at. Um, working in the shelter as you're you're offering some of those uh, replacement replacement role models for them. So you know if I go to a shelter, I may just be a lady that's teaching someone how to cook, but at the same time I I might be offering them some of those motherly emotions that they're not going to get from anybody else. So so we have such a opportunity to do that that the police can't do. You know as body of Christ. And uh, mm. I want to say thank you, Heather. Because thank you for. Uh, being being on the front lines of caring about an issue like this. I know it's not an easy one to embrace. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you could tweet me at Pamela Q. Phones. I'm also on Facebook at Pamela Q. Fernandez. So see you next time. Until then, God bless and take care.